I'm just curious, how many of you in this room have the gift of growing things? Anyone here have a green thumb? Four of you. Okay, all right. Anyone have a brown thumb? You have the gift of killing things. Anybody? Yeah, oh, I got a lot more there. Yep, okay. And my wife and I tend to reside in that category. Although, my wife has done amazing since we moved here. I can't, every time I walk by the flowers, I'm like, honey, they're still alive. Wow, that's incredible. And then she leaves for a few days, and she comes back, and one of them is dead. And it's all my fault. I don't know why that is the case. But uh, now, I don't know why that's the case, because that's not the way I was raised. My parents were really good at growing things. They had a garden, and they had fruit trees. In fact, when we were kids, me and my brother, they, we always gave us our little patch of the garden where we could grow our own little garden. And so I don't know why that didn't stick with me, because it wasn't like my parents didn't try uh, to, to teach me this, but it just didn't work. My parents were good at it. But you know who was great at it? My grandparents. See, my grandpa, my grandpa was a farmer, and they, I mean, they had the gift of growing things. They had this massive garden next to, next to their house where they had every kind of vegetable you can imagine. They had a strawberry patch. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. In fact, they didn't just have one garden. They had another garden behind the, the, the house called the truck patch. Does anybody know what a truck patch is? It must not be an Indiana thing, because I didn't know what it was either. Uh, but that, apparently that was the second garden. And, uh, and they had fruit trees. We had pear trees, apple trees. They had this huge grape harbor that was just always just overloaded with grapes. So I loved hanging out in my grandparents' house, especially in the fall, because I would eat myself sick. I mean, it was just, I loved hanging out there. And their ability to grow fruit was phenomenal to me and, and as, a, as a person. And today I want to look at that as kind of an analogy to life. Because each one of us, we're producing fruit in our lives. Not physically, but there's so much of our life, it's the fruit of our choices, our decisions, our, our work ethic, our character. Our, we have, we're producing fruit in relationships. We're producing fruit financially. We're pr producing free, fruit pr professionally, spiritually. Every area of our life, we're producing fruit. And so many times, we'll look at someone else and the fruit of their life and go, why doesn't my life look more like theirs? Look at their relationships. Look at their marriage. Look at their, like, why am I not more like them? They seem to be bearing the fruit that I'm looking for. So today, I want to talk about that aspect of how do we get better at producing the type of fruit that we're really looking for in our lives, because we all know this to be true. We look at other people and think that they're somehow better at this than we are. How do we tap into that? Today, we are finishing up our series that we've been looking at. We've been looking at, it's called I Am Jesus. It's through, we're looking through the I Am statements of Jesus Christ. We looked at the statement, I am the light of the world. We looked at the statement, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. We looked at the, at the statement of, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Today, we're looking at a statement from John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there to John chapter 15. We're going to look at one statement in verse 5. John chapter 15, verse 5. We're going to bring that up on the screens for you as well so that you can see, see this. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the I am statement of Jesus. And I believe that this is one of the most powerful statements of Jesus because we have to understand the context in which he's saying this. This is dinner conversation for Jesus. Because in John chapter 13, 
it begins what we would call the Last Supper. The last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. This is a context for which he's saying this. Because in chapter 18 is when he gets arrested. Imagine that I told you that you were going to sit down and have a meal with your closest friends and family. And it would be the last meal that you would ever have with them. What do you think that your conversation would look like? I'm guessing you would be very intentional about what you would share. I'm guessing you would be very intentional about the questions that you would ask. Because you would know this is my last opportunity to say these things. This is the context for which Jesus is making this statement. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So I want to back up and give you a little bit more of the context for what the principles that Jesus is trying to teach us in John chapter 15. So let's back up to verse 1. I am the true vine. Everyone say true vine. And my father is the gardener. Now there's a lot of power in these two words because when Jesus says he's the true vine, obviously there must be a false vine as well. There must be other sources that we can tap into and think that we're going to find life, but they're actually false. When Jesus is saying he's the true vine, he says that for a reason. And we're going to represent that today by this really, really fake tree that I have next to me. Okay? You put a tree in the proper environment. You put a fruit tree in the proper environment where it's getting the sunlight, the rain coming down as you hear outside, and it's, it's, and it's in good soil, does that tree have to work to bear fruit? No, it just does it. You put that tree in the right, a healthy tree in a healthy environment, it's going to bear fruit. That's what fruit trees do. But if you don't put it in the right environment, it's not going to live. It's going to look a little bit more like this, poor little thing here. And I know, ladies, that you've, had, you've received flowers before. What do you go do with those flowers? You put them in water because that's going to help. So what if I told you I just planted a tree? Would you be convinced at the health of this tree? Probably not, man. Hey, look, it's got leaves on it. I think it's even got some fruit on it somewhere. I saw a poor little shriveled up apple on here somewhere. But I've put it in a source, right? But this source is not going to sustain it for very long, is it? It's a false vine. It's a false source, and unfortunately, we as human beings do this all the time. We tap into sources that we think are going to give us life, and they do for a moment, for an instant. For a short period of time, those things do give us life, or we wouldn't turn to them. And we somehow think that this is where I need to reside. You can put cut flowers in water. It will sustain them for a while. But if you want them to live indefinitely, you have to put them in soil. This isn't going to work. This is a false source. And unfortunately, we do this as human beings all the time. If I can just get that promotion, if I can just make a little bit more money, if I can just get my relationship with my parents or my wife figured out, if I can just get this. We look to so many sources, okay? What, what's my snap score look like? How many likes am I getting on Instagram and Facebook? We turn to so many silly things that we think are going to give us life, but they're a false source. They also satisfy us for a short period of time, but ultimately we're going to look like this. A sick, sad little tree. 
So when Jesus says he's the true vine, he's saying that there are false vines that we can tap into, and we, we do that at our own peril. We're eventually going to begin to die. I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. Well, look at what he says here in verse 2. And I don't like this verse. I'll just give you a heads up on this one, okay? Verse 2. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Now, I think I know what that means, but I'm not really comfortable with the implication of that. Okay? That he cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit. But the second part of it doesn't seem to be much better. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. So he says, you don't produce fruit, you'll get cut off. I don't like that. But this is just about as bad. I'm producing fruit, so the gardener comes along and he's cutting off those dead things, those things that are actually preventing me from producing the most fruit possible. You ever have God do this in your life? Drives me nuts. When God's trying to take something out of my life that I think is providing me life, and he's saying, no, 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 it's actually keeping you from producing the fruit that you want. Oftentimes, God's taking someone out of our life, and we think that they're the ones who give us life when they're actually the ones draining our lives. He's a gardener, and what good gardeners do is they prune. I don't like to be pruned, but that's what the heavenly father does because he wants us to produce even more fruit. Let's move on here to verse three. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Verse four. Here's where I want to hang out for a little bit. Remain in me. Everyone say remain. And I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. This word remain is repeated all throughout John chapter 15. And so I think we have, to really, we have to get a very good understanding of what this word means. This word remain, in the Greek, it means to abide. Abide means to live. You ever heard of your house referred to as your abode? Your humble abode? It's your abode because that's where you abide. It's where you live. It's where you spend your time. It's where you linger. It's, and so Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, Abide in me, live in me, stay connected to me. Good things are going to happen in your life. Good things are going to happen. And that is where we get the promise that we're looking at today. The promise is if you remain, if you abide, if you live, if you stay connected to me, you will produce fruit. That is the good news that here he gives us in verse 5. If you remain in me you will bear much fruit. So principle number one that I want to look at today is this. Staying connected produces fruit. Say that with me. Staying connected produces fruit. If you're taking notes today, you want to write that down. Staying connected produces fruit. This is the good news today. This is good news. If you stay connected, you will produce fruit. In fact, I want to walk through this even a word at a time. You will bear much fruit. It's not a question. It's not an if. As I said earlier, you put a fruit tree in a healthy environment, it's going to produce fruit. End of story. It doesn't have to work at it. It doesn't have to try really hard. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your only responsibility is stay connected. If you stay connected, he's going to produce fruit in you. End of story. You will. Four letters. You will bear much fruit, much fruit. And I know that I, I don't know if I bug you when I talk about the Greek, but 
I love looking things up in the Greek, and sometimes they're just like, oh, that's what it means? You look up much, and the Greek says many. <laughs> oh, okay, so much means many. Means lots of really large, juicy fruit. That's what you're going to produce. The fruit that you're really looking for, it's going to happen. So as a Christian, when you stay connected to Jesus Christ, you're not just going to squeak and slide by in life. God wants to give you abundance. He wants to give you more than enough. He doesn't want you just to constantly be just barely hanging on. He wants to give you much, much fruit. But I think I need to hang out here in this word for a little bit. This word bear, it means like it's to carry a burden. To carry a burden. And I think that we need to have an honest conversation about what this looks like. When you ask for God's blessings and he gives them to you, it complicates your life. It doesn't make it easier or more simple. It complicates it. If I were to rewind my life 25 years ago and go back to when I was in high school, my life was way simpler then. All the adults in the room? So students, just enjoy being where you're at. I know. Your life is so simple. Now, I don't want to paint the wrong picture for you because it seemed like whenever I was about to step into the next stage of life, people would like doomsday me. You know, my wife and I, we were, we were going to get married. We were in love. And we were just ooey, gooey, kissy face all the time, drove everybody nuts, you know. Old married folk, you just wait. That'll pass. You'll get to the point where you can't even stand to see each other. I'm like, ah, no. I don't want that. No, but everything that God has put into my life has complicated my life. My life now as a pastor of a thriving, growing church, married with four children, a dog and a cat. Well, a dog now. Cat, rest in peace. Um, anyways... My life is way more complicated now, way more messy now than it was 25 years ago. This is what I call it. I call it the chaos of abundance. That's what I'm experiencing. I'm experiencing the chaos of abundance. And Jesus said, when he gives you the fruit that you're looking for, it will be a burden to bear. Because when I talked about my grandparents' house, they had fruit trees that would bear so much fruit, the limbs were bending to the point where they almost to break. There was a pressure. There was a weight to that. And why do I share this with you? Because when, when we as human beings they start to experience that pressure, that weight of God's blessings, you know what we will start to do? We will start to curse the very blessings that God has given us. We will complain about the spouse that God blessed us with. We'll complain about the children that God's blessed us with. We'll complain about the job that God's blessed us with. We'll complain about... The things that God has blessed us with, now it's causing stress. And so then we begin to curse the very blessing that God has given us. When we need to pause and go, oh no, my life is blessed. Maybe you need to embrace that phrase. Anybody here experiencing the chaos of abundance in your life? Oh, maybe the rest of you, I'm going to pray for you. That you can experience the joy of the chaos of abundance. When God blesses, when he, God, he produces the fruit in your life, there is a burden to bear with it. And we just need to be honest about that. But you will bear fruit. What is the fruit that Jesus is referring to? He tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
You know what I love about this list? I've yet to meet any human being that looks at that and go, nah, not interested. Everybody wants more of this. Everybody wants more love. Everybody wants more joy. Everybody wants more peace. And if you're smart, every single person wants more self-control. Yes, Lord, I'll take a double helping of self-control. Dear Jesus, help me. We all want more of this, every single one of us. But back to our principle, staying connected produces fruit. Here I want you to see this. Who produces the fruit? Do you produce the fruit? Is it my job to produce the fruit? No, it's just my job to stay connected. The Holy, the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit. Because when I look at this list, when you look at this list, this list seems impossible, doesn't it? This list seems daunting. I'm supposed to do all that? I can't even make it to breakfast doing that. Have you been in my house trying to get kids off to school? Okay, again, I guess I'm the only one. All right. This is a fruit God wants to produce in our lives, and he will. It's a promise. You stay connected, it's going to happen. Say this with me. Staying connected produces fruit. That's the good news today. The good news. But now I want you to see you the flip side of this coin, because everything Jesus says has a flip side. Being disconnected produces nothing. Being disconnected produces nothing. Let's go back to what Jesus said. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do, what's that word? Nothing. Nothing. Really? We don't like that one, do we? Without God, I can do nothing? Well, that seems a bit harsh. But that's what Jesus tells us. When you're disconnected, you can produce nothing. Look at what he goes on in verse 6 to say. Anyone who does not remain, what's that word remain mean? Abide, live, stay connected. And me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Again, that doesn't seem very pleasant, doesn't it? But what am I going to do with this? Can I build a treehouse with this? It's not going to produce fruit for me. It's essentially good for what? To be thrown into the fire. This is harsh. What Jesus says here is very harsh. But we, again, we ignore it at our own peril. And I, I want to challenge us to be very, very careful. Because it's so easy for us when we believe that we're living here to look at someone else's life and go, I'll never be like that. So easy. I'm going to give you a silly illustration of this, and then I'll give you a serious one. Okay? Here's a sillier illustration. When Diane and I first got married, I owned two vehicles. A motorcycle and my 83 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, which I was very, very proud of. Two-door. And once we got married, I saw my older married friends with kids. They weren't driving motorcycles and two-door cars. They drove minivans. And I gave the men a hard time about it when I walked up in my black leather chaps. And they were telling me a story. Oh, I remember when I used to have a motorcycle. Got rid of it and traded it in for the minivan. I'm like, give me your man card now. It needs to be clipped, buddy. You gave up your motorcycle for the minivan. 
I will never be like you. I will never be like you because I sold my motorcycle and I have two minivans now. Because <laughs> when you have four kids, a motorcycle don't work so well. But I, I'm a believer now. Once they created the minivan with the DVD player, all my parents say, amen. Oh, Jesus was in that meeting, I'm telling you. Jesus saw all those poor parents doing cross-country road trips without a DVD player. And he said, Gabriel, give them the DVD player. You'll find that in the Bible somewhere, I'm convinced. No, I said, I'll never be like them. That's kind of a silly illustration, but there's a serious one as well. We look to other people and go, oh, here's another one. When you were, before you became a parent, did you ever say, oh, my children will never act like that? Yeah, how many of you were a parenting expert until you had, parents, had kids? Woo, right out the window, doesn't it? Ah, oh, my kids will never act like that. Man, I look, at that, I look at that guy and I see how he puts his work before his family. Oh, I'll never be like that. And then all of a sudden you're working so much, your kid is on a sports team and you don't even know the name of it. He's been so long since you've been to one of their sporting events. It's easy for us to look to another person and say, I'll never be like them. See, this cuts even closer to home for me. When I watched, and I said, man, I can't believe that guy had an affair. No, that could never happen. And I watched my role models, the guy who performed our wedding. My, my, I looked at their marriage, man, before I got married, I said, man, I want marriage to be just like them. Years ago, I was getting in contact with them. I said, hey, man, we'd love to connect with you and get lunch with you. He's like, I'm sorry, I... We're divorced. What? What happened? Yeah, she was cheating on me. I was devastated. That can never happen to them. No. I've counseled people that you, we would all say, no, that would never, no. They would never. Why do I share with you all this? Because I want you to see this principle. Anyone is capable of anything when they're disconnected. Anyone is capable of anything when they're disconnected. Don't you ever say, oh, that would never be me. You're capable of anything when you're disconnected. I, as your pastor, am capable of anything if I'm not connected. Anything. And so it's only pride and arrogance that would say, no, I would never. Anyone's capable of it. So we, this is, comes with a caution. There's a promise here that you'll bear fruit if you're connected, but there's a warning as well that your, your life is capable, you are capable of anything when you're disconnected. And so that's why a challenge to us today is to stay connected. Stay connected. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If, that word if is big. If you remain, abide, live, stay connected to me, you will bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I've loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. There's that word again. Remain, abide, live. Stay connected to my love. Stay connected. Remain, abide, live. Stay connected. So now the really question is, how do we do this? How do we stay connected so our life looks like this and not like the dead one? How do we stay connected? Well, Jesus answers the question for us right here in verse 7. 
If you remain, I'm going to beat this into you. Remain, abide, live, stay connected to me. And my words remain, abide, live. They're connected with you. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. So that's why last week I talked about the, the importance of us staying connected to the scriptures. Of us staying connected to the word of God. So that's why you heard in our video announcements, I offered a challenge the red letter challenge. I said, I challenge you to read the 21 chapters of John in 21 days. Some of you have pushed back and said, well, reading is difficult for me. I get that. I understand that. But it doesn't mean you can't have the scriptures living in you. You can find ways to get the scriptures in you. My wife was running around the house today listening to the word of God. If you can't read it, listen to it. You can stay connected to the scriptures regardless of your reading ability. But Jesus is saying, having my words remain in you is critical. So congratulations for getting out of bed this morning and coming to a place that's going to feed the word of God in you because it's critical to you staying connected. It's critical to you staying connected. There's a believing aspect to this. Us knowing what we believe and why we believe what we believe is important, it's critical, it's crucial. But there's also a living aspect as well. He said, if my words remain in you, they live in you, you're connected with them, you can ask for anything you want. But there's also a living aspect as well. We looked at this first verse. All these, none of these are faith words. These are all living words. You know, I live out love. I live out peace. I live out joy. I live out self-control. These are living type of words. If our believing doesn't affect our living, are we really believing? Jesus said, your faith should bear fruit. You stay connected, it's going to bear fruit. There's a believing and a living aspect, but both of these are sustained by a connection with Jesus Christ. Our faith and the way we live, are, are, they, are, they thrive on our connection with Jesus Christ. They thrive on it. If I've, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me, remain, abide, live. Stay connected to my love. Stay connected. So how do we do that? He tells us another way. Verse 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Obedience is critical to us staying connected. But it's funny how us in the church can find ways around obedience. God asks us to do something, and we, we create all this activity that we think that is somehow pleasing God and not actually doing the thing to begin with. What do I mean by this? Let me illustrate this for you, okay? Let's, ask, let's just pretend that I ask my children to clean their room. And instead of cleaning it, they create all this other activity to make me think that, I really, that they really cared about what I said. Actually, I got a better picture for it. We're going to play a video that's going to illustrate this for you of what it oftentimes looks for us as Christians, when we say that we're obeying Christ's command. Go ahead and play that video.
What's the deal? I told you three days ago to clean your room. I know. Well, I'm glad you know. It's a mess. I memorized what you said. What do you mean you memorized what I said? Every word. Wait, you memorized that I told you to clean your room? Yes. And I learned how to say it in Spanish and in Hebrew. And if you want to know how to say it in Spanish, it's Yo Limpio El Dormitorio. That's, that's what? That's Spanish. 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 Okay. And I um, read a book. It's called Five Ways to Clean Your Room. It just really helped me to understand like what you said, and it was really life-changing. It was awesome. And I had friends from my small group over. It was so good. We talked about like the importance of a clean room and like what it's like to have a clean room and like how you should have a clean room. It was so, so good. It was absolutely incredible. And Susie came over, you remember? Yeah, she came over and we like mapped it out on a sheet of paper on what my room would have been like if I, when I did clean it. And it looked really good. Like it, everything was really precise. Uh, okay, well, uh, keep up the, <laughs> keep up the good work. Thanks. I love you. Keep holding me accountable. Jesus said, if you obey my commandments, then you remain in me. What is, now here's the real question, is what is Jesus' commandments? And I, I love this. He, he, he never leaves us in the dark. He goes on, verse 11. If you want to pull up that next slide. I have told you these things so that you would be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is really important. Because when he, we hear the word commandments, we don't normally associate joy with commandments, do we? Oh, great. These are more things that I have to do. There's more of this burden that you're talking about. No, he said, if you do this, you're actually going to have more joy in your life. If you do what I tell you to do, you're going to have more joy. So much your joy will overflow. That's one of the fruits that God wants to produce in your life. Joy. Now, here's what he said. This is my commandment. This, this will be a difficult one. It's going to fill up the screen, right? No, it's three words. Jesus' commandment is three words. Love each other. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, how many commandments do you find? Page after page after page after page, right? I mean, we have the Ten Commandments, but then there are also all these laws, 618 laws that you had to follow. Jesus simplified the whole thing down to three words. I love Jesus. Love each other. Love each other. That's it. That's the commandment. Love each other. And why do I want to spend time on this? Because so much for this nonsense about I don't need the church to be a Christian. Have you ever heard someone say that? I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you don't need to go to church to believe. That's true. You don't need to go to church to believe in God, to talk to God, to pray to God, to read the Bible. You can have amazing experiences with God. You don't have to go to church to believe, but you have to go to church to do the word that Jesus talked about, which is follow. 
You can believe in isolation. You can believe all yourself. You can't follow in isolation. Why? Because you can't follow this all by yourself. He said, love each other. A monk sitting on top of a hill praying can't do this. He can't love anybody. When you isolate yourself, you can't follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to say that again because we must have missed it. If you, you cannot follow the teachings of Jesus Christ all by yourself. You cannot follow the teachings of Jesus Christ all by yourself. I feel like I'm trying to beat this out of you because some of you are still not convinced. Can you follow this by yourself? No, no you can't. Now, here's where I, I, I want to drill down even more, but because love each other, you're going to have a different definition of what this means and I, and I will. So many people think that love each other just means smile and wave to people when you walk down the street. I love, I love that guy. Really? What's his middle name? I have no idea. What's, what's his family like? I have no idea. I love that guy. We think they're just being nice to people and loving each other. Jesus wanted to give us a qualification. In the same way that I've loved you, that's how I want you to love. Now, obviously, Jesus is still alive when he's saying this. Jesus is saying, how have I loved you? I've loved you by serving you. I've loved you by leading you. I've loved you by teaching you. I've loved you by doing what? Laying down my life for you. In fact, that's what he says in the next verse. There's no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus, in a matter of days, is going to literally do that. He's going to lay down his life. And he says, you're my friends if you do what I command. This is my command. And he reminds them of the command. And there's those three words again. Love each other. Love each other. When people talk about Christians in the church and how it's all about love, they're, they're for real, but that, this kind of love is messy. This kind of love hurts. This kind of love involves sacrifice. This kind of love isn't easy. It's hard. Laying down my life for somebody else, that's hard. But Jesus said, that's it. Here's my command. Jesus makes it so simple. Love. Love each other. You can believe all by yourself, but you can't follow by yourself. You can believe in isolation, but you cannot follow in isolation. You cannot follow Jesus' command of this, love each other. He said, you want to stay connected? Jesus always ties it back into other people. You want to stay connected to me? Love each other. And he said it over and over and over and over again. And imagine the group of men that he's talking to. They were as different as night and day. Okay? You've got a tax collector serving along with a zealot. Do you know what that is? Okay, a tax collector, someone who went out and got money, stole people from his Jewish brothers to give to the Roman government. The zealot is the one who thinks the Roman government should be violently overthrown. These two guys are on the same team, and he's saying, love each other. That's like telling Democrats to love Republicans. Republicans to love Democrats. I'm like, it's way worse than all that. 
They were as different as night and day. And he's saying, you want to do what I tell you to do? Love each other. Love each other. That one's hard. That's why we've said as a church that we're about you experiencing three things. We've created three environments. Environment number one is this environment that you're in right now. We want people to experience God. We want people to experience the love that God has for you. We say that, we, are, we, are meaning, we mean that with all of our hearts. But we know that's just the start. The second step is up for us is building community. That's this right here. This is the building community piece of loving each other. So that's why we've created another environment. It's called our community groups. Because we believe that this is a really difficult environment to follow this. It's really hard to truly love someone that you're sitting in a row with. We can come and we can sing and we can listen and, and, and be kind and nice and have conversations before and after. But to really do this, you need another, another environment and that's a circle. That's why we believe circles are better than rows. Because in a circle, I can really love you. I can really know your burden. I can know your pain. I can hear your story. I can get to know you where I can actually begin to follow Jesus' teaching to love each other. I can do that in a circle. It's a much more conducive environment than in a row. So that's why we've created these environments. And that's why we challenge you to step into them so that you can follow out this commandment to love each other. My wife and I, we get to lead a group. We have our group tonight. I'm so excited about us getting to have our group again. We've met one time, and you knew how the, knew the group was already working? Because last Sunday, we were all bummed that we didn't get to meet that night. We were. We're like, ah, oh, man, we, I wish we could meet tonight. Like, like, can we do this more than twice a month? And I'm so excited to talk to the, everyone else I've talked to me, how was your group? Oh, it was amazing. Man, it was so great. I'm so excited to hear how God's people are doing this. They're loving each other. And it's super simple. We get together and we eat. I got to eat yesterday with the prime timers. Woo! Man, you, I'm looking forward to, maybe I'm looking forward to getting older now, so I hang out with you guys more often. I like the fact that I get grandfathered into the group. I don't, I don't have to meet a certain age requirement. Well, we, we ate together. There's something about eating together. It's so disarming. That, so if you don't know what our community groups look like, that's what they look like, okay? There's three nights of the week. We have Thursday night groups, Saturday night groups, and Sunday night groups. We get together. That's the first thing we do. We eat together. And then we just discuss what that crazy preacher talked about the week before. That's it. Just plain and simple. And we are creating community. We're an opportunity for people to love each other. So if you would like to find out more information about this, we'd love to have a conversation with you. All of our groups are open. All of them, we, we, we want to have an empty seat at the table so that you can be invited in as well. Because what did I say our goal is? To take you from guest to friend to family because we believe that's what the heart of God is. No one is excluded. No one is left out. The door is not shut in anyone's face. God has given us a very, very simple commandment on how we can stay connected, and it's through the messiness of relationships. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back up, and I wanna challenge you to ask yourself some hard questions. How can I take action on this? First of all, which branch am I? What does my life look like right now? Does it look more like this or does it look like this? Because if it looks more like this, Jesus says, I have the, I have the solution. I want to just stay, if you'll connect with me, reconnect with me. Maybe you've disconnected from God a thousand times. Maybe it's time to reconnect a thousand and one times. 
Because do you know the, the only difference between a success and a failure? The success just gets back up one more time. A failure gives up. The success says, yeah, the life has hit me again, and I found myself disconnecting from God. I found myself pulling away, and now it's time to push back through that. It's time to reconnect, because every time you do that, God wants to offer you more life. He's a God of second, third, fourth, and thousandth chances, and that's what I love about Jesus. So today, which one of these does your life look more like? And today, right now, in this moment, is an opportunity for you to reconnect. Would you bow your heads? I'd like the opportunity to pray with you. Is there anyone in this room and, and you look and you think, wow, man, my, my life looks more like that dead, dry, shriveled up tree. I don't want it to look like that anymore. I believe that's part of the reason why you're here. I believe part of the reason why you're here is that you believe that you would find life here. And we wanna, I want to offer it to you. If you feel like God's been a thousand miles away, he's only one step back. Today, would you take that step? Would you take that step? Or maybe you've never, maybe this whole thing is new for you. Maybe you've never connected with God, but today's your opportunity. Today's your chance. If you would like to express that faith of God, I want to come home. Maybe you've prayed, never prayed this prayer before, but maybe you've prayed it a thousand times, that prayer of faith. God, I need you in my life. I recognize that right now in this moment. I've, I've made a mess out of my life, and I need you right now. If that's you, you say, yep, I want to make that statement of faith. I want to step into the life that God offers to me. Would you put your, just your open hands out in front of you like you're receiving a gift? Again, I don't care if, you've, if you do this every single Sunday. That's okay. Or maybe you've never done it before, but you'd like to receive his gift of life. You'd like to step back into life or maybe step into life for the first time. With your hands open, would you pray a prayer with me? And there's nothing special about the words I use. It's just an opportunity for you to express faith. But would you pr- pray with me? Say, dear Jesus. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I trust you right now in this moment I give you my life would you give me life would you give me your life I put my trust in you Jesus Christ forgive me for walking away I put my hope in you in Jesus name Amen. Amen. For those of you who did that, I'm so excited for you. God, the loving Heavenly Father, you take one step back towards Him. He comes running to you. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you. The band's going to sing one final song. And, uh, and you're free to go. But this song that we're going to sing, it's a great song. It's how God is the way maker. Let me pray a blessing over you. I hope that you have a great, great week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. Give you peace. 
give you rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.